So let's uh, turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And reading just the closing three verses and bringing to an end uh, this series on First and Second Thessalonians. Hear the word of God, Second Thessalonians three verse sixteen. Now may the Lord of Peace Himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. God's word endures forever. May he bless it to us. I just want to, before we get into the whole subject of peace, And looking at uh, verses 16 and 18, verse 17 just sort of pops in the middle there as an indication of of Paul's authenticity to this letter. Uh, Paul would often mark his letters with a particular sign that it was from him. And you can read in 1 Corinthians 16 and Colossians 4 here in verse 17 where he does that. And it's so that the church could know it was from him that these are the words of an apostle who was instructed by the Lord Jesus to bring forth the word of God to his church. And Paul did that, and he's mentioning that because if you go back earlier in chapter 2, verse 2, he talked about some that were coming with letters and saying they were from the apostles when they weren't. And Paul has already had to say to them, we never said these things to you. Whoever brought that message to you was a false teacher. And, and the fact is that with that little sign, whatever it was on those documents, on those letters that were written, it was the way the early church recognized scripture. And that's the correct word to use. The church recognized Holy Scripture. The church did not decide what Holy Scripture was going to be. You might hear people ask you, how do you know the Bible is God's word? And many people will say, well, by the 4th century, the church had chosen those letters that were uh, what they decided to be the true word of God without contradiction. That's not how it worked. (laughs) Now, they did recognize those letters. And they could, through the course of history, see the history of the church up to that point that understood and could distinguish what letters were from the apostles and what weren't. But the church did not decide. The Holy Spirit did. And if we have trouble uh, understanding that, just remember, God chose the apostles and prophets to bring his word to the church. And the way we know these things to be true ultimately rests with God himself, where the Holy Spirit bears witness of God's word to our hearts. Second, uh, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God's Spirit breathes it out, and as we like to say, He breathes it into us. And that's what He does. So that's how we know. Now, getting to our actual message this morning, we see here Paul in his uniqueness, and he does this with many of his letters, he bookends this letter with this issue of peace. Now, I preached a little bit on peace in the 
last uh, couple months and uh, last evening, uh, last Sunday evening. And today it's a full out Lord's Day on the issue of peace. But it was important to Paul when he was addressing the church. In fact, almost every one of his letters begins with that, if you will, benedictory uh, phrase of grace, mercy, and peace to the church. It's very interesting to know that peace was a very important virtue that God wanted his people to abide in, not just in the New Testament times, but in the Old Testament times. Some 300 times God speaks of his shalom to his people. His desire for you to have that wholeness and that completeness and that inward calmness and harmony within your soul with him as our God. And the New Testament is the same. Some 110, 115 times, mostly in Paul's letters, but also in the Gospels, the, the, the issue of peace from Christ himself is something that he desires you to abide in. And why do we get so many commendations of this word peace? Because like most virtues, it is far more difficult to possess and abide in than many of us realize. Are you at peace today? You might be in this moment. But as the day unfolds, will you be able to say at the end of it, thank you for your peace that has carried me through this day? far more difficult than we realize. There are many disrupting factors. There were many disrupting factors in the church at Thessalonica. The return of the Lord disrupted their peace. You would think, well, that should bring us peace as well as hope. But we've already seen in both of these letters, people were coming in and saying, it's already happened. You missed it. And how would you feel if somebody came to you, you know, the left behind series, you've been left behind. Is your mind at peace? It's pretty frightening. Or as we saw and heard last week, unruly, lazy, disorderly members, you want your peace disrupted in your life and home? A disorderly person knows how to do that very quickly and very powerfully. All it takes is that one irritating co-worker to disrupt your peace at work or in the classroom or in the home. Persecution. How many of you are afraid of persecution? And how many of you, out of that fear, change what you know is the right thing to do? Your soul's not at peace, is it? persecution. Others sin, our own sin. It disrupts that inward peace of mind. Churches, Christians, we often don't deal with issues or discipline because they cause turmoil, or so we think they cause turmoil. My friends, when you come to deal with sin in your life or in your church, understand the turmoil is already there. (laughs) And you have to deal with it. And it takes a peaceful mind to actually deal with it righteously. Blessed are the peacemakers, the Lord Jesus said. 
For they shall be called sons of God. And how many times do we look at that and think, well, you don't know how hard it is to make peace. I think we get that word wrong when it talks about blessed are the peacemakers in, in real thinking we're going out to manufacture peace where it doesn't exist. No, we are but servants and God uses us as ones who desire to see peace happening in lives, go about obeying his word in, in seeing that that can be laid hold of. And the spirit does that work through us. But it's an interesting thing. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And yet even on that road of trying to do good as a peacemaker, it disrupts our peace of mind, our peace of conscience, peace in the church. It's a hard virtue to possess and to abide. And that's why so much attention is given to it. And so much uh, of that attention is set in the ways of benedictions and prayers. Because it's not something we can give ourselves. It's something that comes from God himself. How are we kept in that perfect peace of God? Well, it helps by understanding what peace isn't. Peace is not the absence of strife or turmoil or suffering or persecutions or trials. Our life is going to be filled with many trials. Peace is not the absence of those things. What peace is, is the virtue of completeness, inward calmness, wholeness, and harmony of the soul with God in everything. That inward calmness, I think, is is the biggest understanding of what peace is when God speaks of it. And the question for you, as we understand Paul's benediction here, is do you have peace? Are you at peace with God? Do you have peace of mind and conscience? Even in the midst of turmoil and strife and suffering and trial. That's what God is seeking for you. And one of the very first things that Paul brings out as he closes this letter is, is that that peace, first of all, comes from God himself. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. And God is always desiring that. One of the things, and why it's an encouragement to you, I'll just give a quick aside here, why morning and evening worship is is so important. I am in the habit, not of closing every service with the benediction from number six, but with closing the end of the day of the Lord in worship with the benediction of number six. You know how that goes? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's what God wants to give to you. And that's why it's important at the end of the Lord's day that we go out in that blessed promise of God, my benediction to you is my peace will be given to you. 
Do you walk in that? It's God's promise. Some of you will know Isaiah 26.3. You may not know it without me reading it, and you may know this verse in your own mind. But again, listen to how it's about what God does. Peace is not something that we can just go out, as I said, and manufacture for ourselves, work for ourselves. It is something that comes from God. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Your faith is what leads to peace. The God of peace filling you with his peace, keeping you in that perfect peace. And what's required of you is for your mind to be stayed on God. And so when you read this phrase, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, what you have to realize is this is God's peace that I need. And how do I attain that? Well, God says, set your mind on me. Think about that. The Lord of peace. Jesus Christ. That's one of the titles that we remember, especially in his, uh, in his birth. He is called the son who is given to us, who is the prince of peace. <laughs> the Lord of peace. Jesus is Lord of peace because God is peace itself. That is not a virtue that gets added to who God is. It's a virtue that flows from who God is. Do you understand that particular point? God gives peace because he is peace. And he is God who is always at perfect peace. And if you want to be kept in perfect peace, you need God. (laughs) And you think about it, a a commentator said this, and it's fairly lengthy. And if any of you want it afterwards, maybe I'll, I'll put it out on our website. But it's a wonderful thing to stay your mind on God so that he will keep you in his perfect peace. Listen to these words. God is always at perfect peace. He is without discord within himself. How many of us can say that? (laughs) I've never been at odds against myself. (laughs) We find ourselves challenged almost every week in that, don't we? He's never... At discord within himself. He's never unsure or threatened or under stress. He never worries, is filled with anxiety, nor fear. Because he's God. Stay your mind on that. He is perfectly calm, tranquil, content. Nothing surprises his omniscience. Nothing changes his immutability. And you might think, well, that's a double statement. But think about it. His unchangeableness is unchangeable. Are we adding anything to his glory today? No. 
But we are bringing him glory because that's what he's owed. But we don't change his glory. It doesn't become greater because of us. And the opposite is true, which is infinitely more powerful. His glory is no less diminished by us either. That's awesome. Nothing threatens his sovereignty. No doubts cloud his wisdom. No stain sins his holiness. Even his fierce wrath is clear, controlled, and confident. And you say that about your anger. We can't. But you stop for a moment and you think on that verse. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. It is to the glory of who God is, how he has revealed himself to us, that we look at and say, thank you, God, though my life and my world around me is ever-changing. Anxiety and fear and stress and disruption of peace uh, surround me. You are my God. I will think upon that your peace may keep me. That's the promise he makes. And the thing that Paul is saying here, my friends, Jesus is the Lord of that peace for you. You know what he said? Knowing that Jesus is this Prince of Peace, he says, ask of me, and I'll give it to you. And he will. He does. Perhaps more than we realize. But he is the one who gives peace. And Paul makes that point. This God of peace, who is always at perfect peace, is the one who gives you peace. It is given by Christ, and he keeps you in that perfect peace. And my friends, where does that peace begin? It begins with your faith in Jesus Christ. It begins with knowing him as your Lord and Savior. It is gospel peace. And it's always that gospel peace that he continues to fill you with in this life that keeps you. That famous verse again. If you haven't memorized it, memorize it. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what is that peace that we have with God? That gospel peace that meets us immediately and which guards and keeps us. It's this peace of knowing that Jesus has accomplished salvation for us. Where all of our sins have been forgiven. You know that you're saying, Pastor, I know this. You will forget it tomorrow when stresses come to hit you. That one of the most glorious things that you possess is peace with God through Jesus Christ. All your sins are forgiven, past, present, and yet to come. Not only are all your sins forgiven, the wrath of God against you is gone. 
There's, there's no judgment hanging over you for the sins that you will commit tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Now in the moment of those besetting sins, you're going to be filled with stress and worry and contempt perhaps for yourself. Where do you get peace in that moment? God, thank you. Thank you that there's no wrath waiting to meet you. Not only that, that God has so worked through the sacrifice of his son that not only are you pardoned, not only is there no longer wrath before you, but your status before God is changed Do you know, dear friends, in Christ Jesus, God no longer looks at you as a wretched sinner. Now, you'll look in the mirror after you have sinned and say, oh, wretched man that I am. We will say that of ourselves, rightly, because we do offend God's glory. But you know, God never calls anyone whom he has given to Christ for salvation a wretched sinner. He doesn't. What does he call them? The righteous ones. Isn't that amazing? His children. The righteous ones. And why is that? Because Jesus, like that goat, led off into the desert on the day of the atonement, has taken our sin away from the presence of God. He looks at us through the righteousness of his son, and he says, I have accepted you. You're mine. And my friends, all of those three points about Jesus' salvation, that gospel peace is the peace that we are kept in all the days of our lives. And that's what we return to when the stresses and turmoils of life meet us. Not if, but when. How is it that we can live in this day with a crooked and evil government over us and not have angst? Why, if COVID has taught us anything, those three years of COVID, it has shown that many in the church are not being kept by the peace of God, but by an angst of soul. As if this world is our home. Do we really think that? And when you understand, and this is how this peace comes, this is staying your mind on the Lord your God so that you can be kept in this perfect peace. When you understand the pardoning grace of all your sins, the wrath of God quenched and no longer over you, that acceptance with God, then you understand those words of Romans 8, those last two verses of that chapter. What can separate you from the love of God? What can separate you from the love of God? Life or death? Powers and principalities? Height? Length? Any circumstance? No. Why? Because there is now nothing that is able to separate you from the love of the Father through Jesus Christ your Lord. Now that is what you behold. That's where your mind is. Nothing. You know, this illness, this 
unkind person, this unjust government, these poverty-stricken days that we're living in. None of this separates me from God's love. That's where your peace abides. That's the peace that God gives you. And, and this is, secondly, as we see going on in this verse, this is a peace that is always with you in every way. That's another way of saying it's peace that Christ gives you at all times in every circumstance. And again, let's take this back to our life in this world. You know, one of the things that automatically begins to work against this peace that God wants to keep you in is when circumstances begin to affect your life and you begin to blame others for your lack of peace. Oh, that's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to do. Well, you know, it's not my fault. Uh, It's the teacher. They're being hard on me. I'm not going to pass this course because the teachers made all these demands and I can't do them. Really? That could have worked even in the church here. That unruly, lazy person who's added to our burdens. I can't get done what I want to get done. And he's the reason why I'm in angst. You see why this follows what Paul just wrote about idleness and lazy, laziness in the church. Or as I've mentioned, unreasonable government and taxes that make me poor. Hate and persecution that cause turmoil. Sin, other sins, Satan, who intrude into your life. Afflictions, illness, death that impose their cursed wills upon you in the most untimely of manners. And very soon, inward unrest, despair, anger, frustration, Panic, fear, worry, stress, discord, doubt. All those things that work against peace, they rise like a flood in your life. And it's consuming. You see, this virtue of peace is needed. (laughs) Needed every day. And Christ is saying, no matter what your circumstance no matter what time you find yourself in, my peace is sufficient for you for those things. Do you believe him? And how do you show that you believe him? You fix your mind on him. You look to the gospel. And you hear these words, you know, you know this truth. Lord, you are the one thing I believe that disrupts our peace at all times and in every circumstance is that we forget the Lord is with me. And that's where he's coming to you to say, know that. Isn't that what Jesus said to his disciples as he was trying to prepare them for his death and, and twice in John 14, he tells them, do not let your heart be troubled. 
The first time at the very beginning of that chapter when he says, look, I, I am going away, but don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because I'm coming back for you. I'm going to bring you where I am. Isn't that wondrous? But a little further on, he says the same thing again. He says, look, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as this world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The the Lord is saying, I have a peace to give to you at all times in every circumstance. And it's not going to be like the world. Giving you peace. How does the world give you peace? Well, think about it this way. Parents, how many of you have had that temper tantrum from your child in a store when they want that chocolate bar or toy and you have said no and the screaming fit occurs and you're there? The only way I can get peace is give him what he wants. It works for the moment, doesn't it? But you know that tantrum is going to come again. And you think the way to cure it, we even had this when one of of our own boys, when they were younger, I still remember this, and one of the boys was crying, and the other boy spoke up and said, you know, if you just give him what he wants, he stops crying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Until the next time. Yeah. That's how the world gives peace. It's give them what they want. How's that going to work between Israel and Hamas? How many times have they done that in the past? Jesus isn't here to satisfy the flesh in the moment. He's not here to appease our coveting. We live in a world and a time where they think the way to help people in their poverty and to bring peace in their poverty is just to redistribute the wealth that's out there. It's like a counselor going to somebody who has great debt, and they say, you know what you need to do? You need to manage your debt. No. You need to manage your finances. Not your debt. You see how we get it wrong? Because coveting, appease coveting. I think some of you may know where I'm going with this, but what does the world give to our lust, to our coveting, to our pride? They do everything to bolster these things. Not to bring peace. Christ says, I've come in the midst of your trial. I will give you peace because you know what I have for you. You know where I am bringing you. You know what I am doing for you in this life. I'm making you more like me. When death comes, you know our congregation in these last three months, has met with its share of death. How is it that we have peace? Because we know the promises of our God. And we know that he hasn't abandoned us in those moments of grief and sorrow and worry and stress. He comes with his peace to take those things. And Christ, when he says, my peace I give to you, it is that gospel peace. No, God is at peace with you. You are at peace with him. And that we have this glory 
for you to come and willingly, abundantly, with eternity and your good in mind. He is working everything. Do you believe that? Because you go back to that verse from Isaiah 26, 3. What does it say? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he And it comes to that point. Do you trust him? In all times, in every circumstance, do you trust in him in every way? I'm going to come to help you to see that with this last point. And that's with verse 18. Because the God who gives peace always in in every way gives a peace that is full of you got to remember that, my dear friends. What is God's grace? Grace is unmerited, undeserved love to an unworthy sinner. It, it's God saying, you don't deserve, you haven't earned my love, but I am giving you my love. And I am not just giving you a portion of it. I'm not just meeting it out in a miserly way. What does he say about his grace? It abounds. (laughs) And God wants you to know his love is abounding to you in everything that you may be filled with his peace. And the greatest thing about his love and, and giving his peace in the fullness of his love is that that peace will then guard you in those moments. You have heard Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. I've come now to see that we need to back up and begin at verse 4. And if you haven't memorized this text, memorize it. You all know verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, but God, I just had to spend. $3,000 fixing my car and I'm not sure I have rent or food. You want me to rejoice? God, people hate me because I'm a Christian and I'm afraid of them. You want me to rejoice? Lord, this trial of hell is just so hard to endure. You want me to rejoice? You think, how do I do that? Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Put that in the context of your trial and circumstance. How can I be gentle in this moment when I want to rage? Because the Lord's with me. He hasn't abandoned me. And then, be anxious. Say it in a positive way. Be at peace. That in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I used to think before that it was the peace that was guarding my heart and mind, but it isn't necessarily just the peace. Peace of God. 
It's a guarding peace. It's full of grace. And the key here is when we are praying to God in those circumstances, the key is to begin with thanksgiving that fills your soul with a knowledge of God so that as you pour out your supplications and your prayers and your requests for help, you have begun by thanking God for who he is, what he has done for you. And there your mind is stayed again on the Lord who will keep you in his perfect peace. And if I could close with this suggestion that in those times of worry and anxiety when you feel the weight of life's afflictions and turmoils and trials and in your own heart your mind is, is, at, is at unrest and despair and frustration and panic and all that discord and your longing for that inward calmness of How do you begin to pray? Let me suggest to you this course that stays your mind on the Lord Jesus. Some of you may know it. I learned it in Sunday school when I was a young lad. I haven't heard it much lately. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy salvation, thy great salvation, so rich and free. Now, just hearing those words, where's your heart right now? Thank you, Lord. Can you think about that? How peace almost immediately begins to settle your heart because your mind is stayed upon giving as he promised perfect peace and rest. It's not hard. Well, it can be in the moment. That's the peace that begins to guard your mind and your heart. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul, for making me whole, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Let your peace guard my heart and mind in this trial that I may trust you to do your good work in me. Can you make that prayer? Can you say, I own that truth. That chorus is my confidence. The peace of God will be with you. And the God of